Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. So the joke early on in the game was, is Jake Wallman Detroit's best left-handed defenseman currently? And by the end of the game, I have a hard time making a case for anyone else right now. It was never a joke. The joke is that it wasn't a joke. Look, man, it's not an upsetting thing. It's just uh, little windows into the fact that this is still very much a rebuild are sometimes a little bit more poignant than what you need (laughs) for the first game after the trade deadline. Listen, I like... I like Jake Wallman, but everybody listening to this needs to understand this is a joke about the rest of the Red Wings left side of the defense, not how elite Jake Wallman is. Hey, I mean, he he was he was good in that one game and good on this iteration of the Red Wings means put him in the, the Norris, put him in the Norris conversation. <laughs> no, but it's like, what did you lose with with Nick Letty in terms of like the assets he brought to the game? And you're like, oh. I just got it back, but a little bit younger. With a harder shot. And he's not currently a minus 33, which helps. Well, yeah. so far. Yeah. Give him a season on the Red Wings. We'll fix that right up. Uh, it was cool being back for uh, hockey. I mean, we, we'd been to Red Wings games uh, like in person since the pandemic and everything. But it was cool being at the top prospects game last night. That was... Uh, I think, Evan, as we were driving up, it was pretty shocking to see all the people there. We didn't know the turnout would be that big. I think it was, there were a lot of empty seats, but I think it was pretty much sold out. So it was probably, I, I think that event's like a big corporate event. Yeah. There was a lot of meetings going on and a lot of people standing around the upper. Yeah. Room. Yeah. Um, the first live look at a lot of those guys was really interesting. That's the fastest junior game I've ever seen. Oh, yeah. Oh, those guys can play and like, Seeing all the nuances in person, it's so much better than video scouting. Oh, yeah. Uh, We'll get more into that. So we went there not just to hang out and have a few drinks and some popcorn, although that was... What did you drink? Nothing. I just... (laughs) Don't include yourself in that. (laughs) That's why I said we didn't go there to do that. Oh. Yeah. Oh, we didn't. You did. I only had one. Yeah, you could tell we, uh, we missed the experience too much when, like, we grabbed the... Well, Evan and I grabbed our drinks... Five minutes before puck drop, and I got a tall boy, and by the 15-minute mark of the first period, it was gone. <laughs> oh, mine was gone. The first one always goes down. Yeah. Really <laughs> uh, we'll get more into what we saw from the scouting portion of that uh, that experience uh, in a little bit here. But for now, welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast, here to talk to you about Red Wings hockey, uh, NHL prospects, the world of the NHL trade deadline, and everything in between. Uh, I'm one of your hosts, Ryan Hanna. I'm Brad Crisco. And I'm Evan. On this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast, we're going to be covering Detroit's first game post-trade deadline, where, I mean, in all seriousness, we'll cover how uh, Jake Wallman and Oscar Sunkfist did um, for the Red Wings in their win over the Philadelphia Flyers, who are looking lowly. Oof. Yeah. That Arista Lining contract aged great in those last uh, Should have been first star two weeks. <laughs> he ran the best pick and roll I've ever seen. Too bad it was a hockey game and it was against his own goalie. <laughs> Uh, we'll be talking about the Red Wings upcoming games, uh, as well as some news for them. Uh, we have an interview 
with Max Boltman to talk a little bit uh, post-mortem on the trade deadline and uh, outlook for the Red Wings and the Iser plan, so to speak. And then we uh, will give you the rundown on what exactly has happened with the Vegas Golden Knights, the Anaheim Ducks, the Ottawa Senators, and poor Dodonov. First trade, not the first trade that's ever been canceled, but the one of the more embarrassing yeah, failed trades in NHL history. Should have asked Dorian last night about that. Yeah, honestly, yeah, we, we should have. We only walked past him what a half dozen times. Oh, he walked into us a couple times. <laughs> we scared him around the corner that one time. Yeah. <laughs> Who walks a corner that tight? What I don't do know. Up here? This guy's got something to hide. <laughs> Another fourth round pick for an aging asset that no one wants. <laughs> Uh, and then uh, we'll get into overtime. But first, uh, we want to tell you about the next arena that we're going to go to, Little Caesars Arena, April 9th. It's a Saturday. That's a game against the Columbus Blue Jackets where we're going to be hosting in partnership with the Detroit Red Wings uh, Winged Wheel Podcast Night at the LCA. So come out to that event and you get access not only to the game, uh, but to the pregame event in which we are going to be recording a live episode featuring Ken Daniels and Mickey Redman from the Budweiser Beer, Beer Garden. Uh, in addition to that, we're going to, before and after the episode, have a, uh, be having a hangout where there's a meet and greet, hang out with each other, meet the hosts, insult Brad, get Evan's autograph, generally avoid me. Um, and then any other special guests that are there, Prashant Iyer is going to come out, which we're very excited about. Um, there's going to be food out for you. There's some snacks and things. The bar will be open for you to grab some drinks, uh, if you want to buy those. And then we'll have a ton of giveaways, shirts, hats, tchotchkes, little knickknacks, things like that. Pins, pins are big. We got more pins. We listen to you guys this time. And, uh, the winged wheel podcast seating sections, we filled the gondola. There's a bunch of lower bowl sections that are full of Winged Wheel Podcast fans. The upper bowl uh, tickets are filling up as well. So, uh, And the tickets are discounted. Not only are you getting that special Winged Wheel Podcast tic- podcast discount, a uh, portion of the proceeds from every ticket benefits the Jamie Daniels Foundation. And after the game at Harry's Detroit Bar and Grill is the post-game after party. More food, more drinks, more giveaways, all that fun stuff. I'm gassed. Did I miss anything? I don't know. I was half paying attention. I think that's everything. That's everything. You say we're in the beer garden? We're in the beer garden. If it's good weather, it'll be wide open, so that'll be very nice. I am not holding my breath, but... No, based on what we saw yesterday. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Minus five in snow on Sunday. Anyways... Just get it all out now. Just get it all out now. Uh, link is in the description of this episode as well as uh, wingwheelpodcast.com slash blog if you want to find out more and buy tickets. Okay. The Red Wings on Tuesday night played uh, the Philadelphia Flyers and beat them pretty thoroughly. I mean, sorry, the Flyers beat themselves, but that was a game in which Detroit won 6-3. I think at the closest point, it never tied up. It was 4-3, right? 4-3. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so altogether, I think uh, a really good showing from a lot of the different red, a lot of different Red Wings, and notably the new guys. So, what were the biggest takeaways for you from that game? I really like Jake Wallman. I don't think he's anything special. Don't get me wrong. So not to overhype him, but sorry, define special here. Like um, middle pairing guy at best. That's what you think he is on a decent team. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, probably bottom pairing guy on a contender, but skates really well, big, can move the puck, closes his gaps really well, uh, generally just read the play really well. Um, 
his shot was certainly on display in the sense that it's really hard and he likes to use it a lot. Not always at the most opportune times, but I'd rather have a guy who shoots too much than not enough. Um, yeah, and there was a couple plays where he had to make a, a skill play to make the play work, and he did. So it's nice to know it's not only Mo Sider that can do that now. Not to the level of Mo Sider, but no. But he he had to walk a few guys at a couple points, and it and it went well. And uh, yeah, like memes aside, he's probably the best left shot defenseman on the Red Wings right now. Depressing as that may be. At least it's not worse. You know, yeah. you know, they could have not added Jake Wallman and the best left shot defenseman on the Red Wings would be Mark Stahl right now. It Jordan com- Osterley maybe some it would nights. be comfortably Mark Stahl, which yeah. again, ignoring the memes, eesh. Yeah. But um and, and Wallman obviously brings a very different element that Nick Letty than Nick Letty did. So uh, a lot of um I shouldn't say a lot. The few elements that Letty was good at this year are gone and probably not going to be replaced with Wallman. He doesn't have the offensive zone passing vision no. that Letty did. Yeah. Um, he doesn't seem as eager to jump into the rush as Letty did, but his skating and defending seem better. So, and his shot seems better. You got to so. do a lot of defending on this team yeah. right now. Yeah. And especially if you're a defenseman, it's usually what that calls for. Yes. So understanding the trade-offs, it's, Scary to think that the Red Wings got another player and a second round pick. Yeah. Because, like, honestly, if it was Letty for Wallman straight up, I'd still be sitting here going, yeah, fine, whatever. Um, At least he's younger. But uh, even though he's not that young, he's, like, 26. But, uh, yeah, and then Sunfist was fine. He's a guy, but he's a he's As advertised. Useful. Yeah, he really did come as advertised. There is no creativity to his game. He is... Uh, plays a very, very simple yet effective game. Jeff Blashill's going to love this guy because he just plays heavy, hard, and straightforward. He gets to the dirty areas. He'll go to the net because I think it was actually him causing a ruckus in front on Valeno's goal. It was. Um, he's always seems to be the first one into the corners. Um, again, didn't do anything that really stood out, but he got a goal and an assist on the two empty net goals. So, hey, and he played a lot of PK, so it, it's noteworthy that Blash will already trust him enough to put him in both those situations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And, um, you know, so you factor in a second-round pick uh, on top of it after the initial impressions, the first impression. I, I think everybody on Detroit's side of this trade is very happy right now. Yeah, for me, it's, you know, I, I talked about this with Max, which you're going to hear in a little bit. I do think... There is more opportunity for Wallman to do the things even that Letty did that we might think is gone. You're right. The passing is not going to come back like that. That's that was the probably the best part of Letty's game. But you look at the tools that Wallman has and he probably can be a little bit more effective even than what maybe they saw in St. Louis moving the puck in transition just by virtue of the fact that probably no one else on the ice can do it while he's on the ice. Yeah, depending who his D partner is uh, any given night, he might be the guy that has to be the one transitioning the puck because uh, it's not really Lindstrom's thing, Heronix hit or miss on that one. But uh, I think Wallman will be in a better spot and set up for success if he's not that guy. Yeah, if he- but he can be that guy based on the early viewings and everything I read from uh St. Louis writers and stuff like that after the trades. So, you know, 
And yeah, and like you said, Sunkfist, you can't expect him to be special. Otherwise, he wouldn't have been an extra in that trade. But yeah, a simple, hard-nosed, effective game, like that's what you want. If you're going to bring someone in who's going to be on this team for at least a year longer, you want him to be A, not a liability, and B, a net add. And the reality is these Red Wings, if you're going to be playing on the bottom six, you should either be someone who's going to be simple and effective or an up-and-coming prospect. There's not really room for anything else. He's Swedish, so that was the only main criteria. Yeah, and he he checked that box. Um, someone someone told someone said he looks like chaotic Mo Cider, and I wish they didn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I looked and I, I thought, yeah, you know what? That's a terrible terrible thing to say because now that's never going to leave my head. Yeah, so I mean, it was it was a good showing from them. It was nice for Sunkfist to get that empty net goal. Um, he factored into the play, like you said. He he wasn't the the reason Valeno scored. I think that was more Ristolainen than anything. Was, yeah, that goal was all Valeno and Ristolainen. Yeah, but it was a good first game, and we can sit here and we can break down Jake Wallman's game, and we can break down what Sunkfist can do compared to Mestikov. And the fact of the matter is, the Red Wings traded Letty, got a second back, which is already a win, and then got two guys who two had roster the, players. Yeah, who at the very least can do things. And that I'm not being funny by saying that, but that is legitimately the standard right now that we need, and that's a huge bonus. It should be mentioned, even though we made jokes about it, this is all in the context of they did this against one of the worst teams in the NHL. Yeah, we're recording this at 6 p.m. before the Islanders game. Yeah. The Islanders game might make this whole conversation seem silly. Yeah, they could both have terrible, tragic, awful games, and we're going, well, at least we got the second-round pick. But yeah. It's it's first impressions, and the first impressions were good. Yeah. So let's give an overview of the uh, rest of the game. Joe Valeno opened up with a uh, really nice, you know, hold of the puck. The pass came from Giovanni Smith, was it? It was a good yeah. pass from Giovanni Smith, and, and Valeno, who's really come on now that he's had a consistent time in the NHL. He is so good at transporting that puck up ice. And he's so literally one of maybe the best Red Wing not named Dylan Larkin at that. Uh, held the puck, circled the net, and Carter Hart, who didn't do particularly well in the play, mostly because of Rasmus Ristolainen, was out of position. Valeno went on the wide around and and was money uh, roofing it. That's not the first time he scored at a tight angle like that. So he's he's actually done quite well with that. Um, and then I believe Jacob Verana was the uh, was the next one. Yeah, that's when Bertuzzi found him in front, and Verana was just right place, right time. Banged it in when he needed to, nothing fancy, and, and just put the puck in the net. Shot it with nothing but the toe of his stick. It's those tiny little plays where you're like, yeah, you would have loved if there was no traffic. You would have loved if you weren't impeded and to, to get a better shot, or you would have loved if you were on a different hand or you could toe drag. Not if you're Jacob Vrana. You just bang it. He's got a lot of puck luck right now. I, yeah, I think he has a lot of puck luck, and I think he got the guy just knows how to score. Well, yeah, when you got pot luck, pot. When you got a pot luck, nice one. <laughs> I am kind of hungry. Puck luck, morning. and you have the ability to finish like he does. It's uh, a good equation to have. I'm a firm believer that you create a lot of your own luck, and it's hard. It's hard sometimes to identify, especially from your couch. But um, okay, well, it's it's not the most impressive goal in the world. But since we're here, might as well break it down. It. In typical Jacob Rona fashion, it was a more difficult goal than the initial view would have shown because that's one of those goals 
a player who doesn't have that instinct, that knack, whatever you want to call it, would probably try to take the extra second to settle that puck down, put the puck in a better shooting angle, and likely have the puck poked away from him or fired into shins. He he saw the traffic between him and the goalie. That puck was in a bad spot for him to shoot. So he just got whatever on it he could, which happened to be the just the toe of his stick, and put it towards the net. And obviously he did not mean to like pick that specific corner. That was I'm gonna get this past that first layer of coverage, the defenseman, as quickly as I can and pray the goalie doesn't pick it up. That's all he was thinking there, but that is the thought process of good goal scorers and if it gets through, hopefully the goalie doesn't pick it up and it finds a hole. And that's exactly what happened. So yeah. uh, again, it's not the most revolutionary goal in the world, not the most talented goal in the world, but it's stuff. It's one of the things that guys like Jacob Verena do that the other 95% of the league doesn't. And that's why he's one of the most proficient five on five goal scorers in the NHL. Yeah. Um. Lucas Raymond followed it up with a goal, a one-timer where he gave it his entire heart, body, and soul and ended up on his ass in the in the follow-through but buried it. It was a pretty play. And that's another thing I like, like a small thing about shooters. And Verona does this too. When they recognize when they need to essentially throw their body and they know they're going to fall to commit to that shot to get that weird angle. Verona scored one from the right side of the net where he knew he was going to end up on his ass, but that's just what you have to do to get the angle on the shot. Yeah, that's more about getting your stick into a position to actually get anything on it. Because if that puck's in front of you, yeah, well, if you position your hands in front of you and then put some momentum into your hands, well, <laughs> that momentum is going to continue. It's got to go somewhere. <laughs> uh, and then Verana, his second goal, it was just a great play all around. Bertuzzi, who was the one who knocked down the clearing attempt, yep. uh, allowed Larkin to pick it up with speed to break into the zone. Um, Larkin, you know, moves across the ice to to pull the defenders towards him. Uh, Bertuzzi's running some interference, driving the net. And then Larkin with a beautiful crossbody pass, essentially moving the other direction to Verana, who is money from the right side. Yeah, no puck luck on that one. That no. might be the nicest shot we've seen from a Red Wing this year. That thing was labeled and right under the bar. Actually, I think it did hit the bar. I, it's down. not like Carter Hart missed with his glove. It's just what no one was going to get there. There's not a goalie in the league who stops that puck. Yeah. Uh, and then the empty net goals that were added by Sunquist, as well as um, Bertuzzi at the end, made it 6-3. But we can't ignore the other stories of the game, which is Moritz Sider, <laughs> a 20-year-old, absolutely manhandling the Flyers. There's the one play where he essentially he, – he had the puck – and he essentially had to try to dangle it away. Um, the four-checker was in on him, had the puck for a brief second. And Moritz Sider literally, and I'm not making this up. You can watch the clip. With one hand, shoved a grown-ass man in the NHL to the ice with one hand. Very casually. Yeah. like It's I not like he threw all his body weight behind that one arm. He, he flicked him off like he was a minor inconvenience. Yeah. You said it right, Brad. It's like when you were on the ice with your kids and you just like are joking around and just lightly push them to the ice. That's what it looked like. Remember that viral video a 
year or two ago when Kovalchuk was just absolutely schooling his kids on the pond. Yeah. That's what Mo, Mo Sider did to two Philadelphia Flyers. Yeah. So he he shoves that guy to the ice, has the puck after. There's another four checker on him who's in deep on him. Like he's committing to that to to try and swing his stick at the puck. Mort Sider toe drags around. Beautiful saucer pass to break out of the zone. And everyone's like, <laughs> Mickey chuckling is just like the audibility of the of Mickey's chuckle is how good the play is. Is it yeah. a louder chuckle? That's how you know it's better. <laughs> Like, there's no commentary for that. It's no. just, how the hell did a 20-year-old just do that to a bunch? Of, I don't care how bad the Flyers are. I don't care if that's the two worst players on the Flyers. I actually have no idea which Flyers it was. It doesn't matter. Like, you phrased it well. He did that to grown-ass men. Yeah. And then the <laughs> moving up the right boards. I think Mickey was actually talking about this, too. These guys aren't watching Moritz Sider's game tape. Because they know if they did, they would know better than to think that they have him lined up. So Moritz Sider is essentially at the red line on the right side boards, uh, dumping the puck in and goads the player by not looking at him at all, making the player think that he has the drop on him. And then just (laughs) if you are only ever allowed to use the phrase blows him up on one hit ever for the rest of your life, it's this one. It was very cartoony. It was. The guy was parallel in the air. His stick was spinning, flying through the air. <laughs> Again. Yard sale. It is. It was comical that this 20-year-old. Oh, my God. It's playing on loop right now as you're talking. <laughs> it's just, yeah, it's, it is hysterical. Again, to repeat, he did this to a grown-ass man. And you know you know that that guy just felt so dumb as he's sitting there. He's like, ah, he's probably hurt. Oh my God. And his, like your head snaps back like that. You cannot feel good. No, the level of embarrassment that guy was feeling at that moment. He didn't feel anything else. No, no, nothing hurt about that hit at that moment. Other than his pride. We've all been at the other end of those hits. You just want to crawl into a hole and get off the ice as quickly as possible. So in a game where where Cider didn't end up on the score sheet at all, like Cider wasn't there, that's still a game where I had people messaging me after going, oh man, I'm so happy I listened to you when Cider was at like plus 550 for Calder <laughs> voting. Every It's every game now. I have people tell me, oh, my, look at my bet. It's at 450 or like, oh, I was late, but I still got 225. My buddy sent me, he's like, it's it's 125. I'm like, I'm, I would still do that if I were yeah. you. It's yeah. not going to get. If it's minus 250, that's the bet to make because he's going to win. <laughs> it's like, well, I mean, fingers. It's it. If nothing else, Dimitri is willing it into existence. Oh, 100%. Yeah. There is no funnier, I don't know what you want to call it, bit on Twitter right now than Dimitri Filipovich just posting videos of Cider going, LMAO or why hasn't anybody learned? Yeah. Just the, well, why haven't they learned? I don't. You can tell you can definitely tell the teams that pre-scout and the ones that don't, and the guys who pay attention to the pre-scout and the guys who don't. Yeah. So overall, I mean, good game for the Red Wings. Like you said, Brad, the Philadelphia Flyers are not horrendous. A, yes. Yeah. That's a, a much more diplomatic way to put it. They were really bad when they had Claude Giroux. Yeah. Now they no longer have a Claude Giroux. But things you want to see when a team has a bad night, when the opponents have a bad night, your rookies to do well, the new guys to do well, the goalie to get a much-deserved win. I mean, I think Nadelkovich had a strong couple games before that where he deserved a little bit better than what he got. Um, You know, your captain had a hell of a game. Bertuzzi, and you made this point, Brad, Bertuzzi, 
they didn't move him. And that was obviously a big storyline. And he had a three-point night to reward the team. So, yeah, all in all, it was good. Any other takeaways, Evan? I know you were um, we were chatting about this yesterday, especially with uh, the cider hit. Carter Hart sucks. <laughs> <laughs> He's uh, in, not bode well for Canada. Okay, no. In Carter Hart's defense, which of those Red Wings goals was truly stoppable? I mean, Carter Hart hasn't been good for like two years now. Yeah. Look at the situation he's in, though. Like, yeah, but Carey Price has been in scenarios like that. Carey Price hasn't been good for four years, though. I well, Carey Price is also old now. Yeah, I, I didn't mean exactly at this fair. in this timestamp. That's fair. That's I'm not saying he's Carey Price either, but there were definitely a lot of talk about how this guy was going to be like a superstar and. I just haven't seen that bounce back from him yet. No, yeah. but he's not going to be in a position to do so, right? Like next year's not going to be easy for them. He has Rasmus Ristolainen in front of him for the next five years. And I mean, literally in his crease right in front of him. I'll just refer to saw. my usual stone cutters reference. Yeah. <laughs> he led in four yesterday. Two of them literally went bar down on one timers. One of them, Rasmus, Rasmus Ristolainen, was sitting on him. And then the third one was through what two or three bodies in front of him. Like that—that's Carter Hart season in a nutshell. That Risto contract should be a fireball offense, plain and simple. There's no a lot of GMs that should be on the hot seat right about oh now. Oh my god, it's brutal. <laughs> like you can't draw conclusions from one game, but watching that game, I thought I don't care if Rasmus Ristolainen had a great career up until this point, like which he has not. That contract. And that, like that player in that game, it was just, it was like they wanted to say, "Hey, look how bad this deal is that Philly just made. Go out there and have the worst possible game of your your life." He is going to be the poster child after he left Buffalo, just for arguments in the future. Go, well, yeah, he was playing twenty eight minutes on a really bad team. What do you expect? And then the argument's going to be, well, maybe that team was as bad as they were because he was playing twenty eight minutes a night. It's also like there's no one else in the job, you know. What what was the joke I made in the group chat the other night? Like, imagine telling Jordan Osterley, and I'm not ripping on Jordan Osterley here, but I'm just saying, imagine telling Jordan Osterley last offseason before he signed, hey, next season you're going to be playing on the top pair with a Calder-level rookie for at least 21 minutes a night. He would have laughed at you. (laughs) And then sign him for like $25 million. Yeah, I mean, thankfully we don't have that part of it, and thankfully for Osterley it's just out of necessity, and there's a little bit of like self-inflicted Stockholm Syndrome going on in Philly. Well, this is what happens when there's 35 people for 32 GM jobs. Yeah. This is uh, really fascinating, too. And it's obviously going to play out. And we talked a bit about it with the Red Wings last episode philosophically of you're either all in the NHL nowadays. You either have to be all in or not at all. And you, you, you can't jump too early and you can't rebuild too late. And and Philly was that has been that tweener team for the last couple of years. And they didn't really fully commit one way or the other. Now they're screwed. I remember Philly always used to be the, oh, this team's really good, but their goaltending is horrendous year after year. They Pretty sure that's Car- been them since the early 90s. Yeah. And then they finally <laughs> get Carter Hart. They're like, all right, here we go. We're going to, we're, we're winning the whole thing. And then the wheels just completely fall off. That Chicago finals, I still maintain, had they had competent goaltending in key moments that it would have gone the other way telling me michael layton wasn't the answer and you know what for a while in those playoffs he was <laughs> if i'm remembering cor- correctly anyhow um wow that was 12 years ago oh, yeah gosh. oh didn't need you to say that but thank you uh the red wings are going to face off against the new york islanders uh 
in just over an hour from the time of recording. So by the time you're listening to this, they'll likely have already played and you'll be saying, Ryan, uh, why are you not bringing up this incredibly important storyline from that game? Wait for Sunday's episode for that. Um, we could do like maybe a recap before. No. And just pray like, wow, yes. Larkin had a great game. Goaltending was all right. Shame they couldn't pull this one out. I Barry c- Trotz really coaches a defensive style. Yeah, wow. Not, team. not a lot happened this game, but, you know, Sider looked good again. I can't believe Alex Nedeljkovic crab walked the entire game and still posted a shutout. <laughs> Just realistic stuff. Uh, they face off against the Tampa Bay Lightning at 1230 p.m. On, or, yeah, 1230 p.m. Eastern on Saturday. That's a home game. And then Sunday they have a 5 p.m. Wait, game. Wait, 1230? So that's going to be national, ain't it? Uh, probably no. That's Bally Sports. Oh, thank God! And then uh, Sunday is a 5 p.m. Eastern game in Pittsburgh. Um, and then we have our next episode. So before we jump into our interview with Max Boltman, I first want to tell you that today's episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast is proudly brought to you by the FanDuel Sportsbook, sponsor that gives hockey fans what we really need, even more excitement. There's so many reasons why FanDuel is America's number one sportsbook, from ease of use in registration, deposits, and finding your best bet, uh, and withdrawals are really quick and easy. FanDuel pays your winnings back in as little as 24 hours. They're always uh, also running great odds boosts and specials every day with some big super boosts each weekend. Now check this out. FanDuel is letting you place your first bet risk-free up to $1,000. What that means is you just place a bet on any game, and FanDuel will refund you up to $1,000 back in site credit if you don't win that first bet. If you win, you keep the cash. If you lose, you get the grand back in site credit. Now, what we want you to do is download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started with that risk-free bet of up to a grand, and be sure to sign up with promo code WWP so they know the Winged Wheel podcast sent you. That's FanDuel Sportsbook promo code WWP. You must be 21 and older and present in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, West Virginia, Indiana, Colorado, Iowa, Tennessee, Virginia, or Michigan. First online real money wager only. Site credit is non-withdrawable and expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See sportsbook.fanduel.com for details. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, or Virginia, Tennessee Redline 1-800-889-9789, 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia, or call 1-800-270-7117 in Michigan. First time doing winged wheel, winged wheel podcasts after dark with a guest. So, uh, Max, with your lights dimmed, really setting the mood, feels right. awkward, just kind of two of us, but welcome to the show. I was told that this was a date, and then, then you showed up, so I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Allison, yeah. Allison sent me, she was, she's been at spring training for like a year, and this link comes through. I'm like, oh, great, I'll set the mood. And then I open the screen, and it's you. You'd sabotage me. I had to pay Allison $500 to give me your new number. <laughs> you can't keep changing it, man. You're going to run out eventually. <laughs> uh, folks, Max Boltman of The Athletic Detroit, uh, he, that should be a familiar name. And if it's not, The Athletic Detroit is well worth the price of admission for Max's work alone. Max, right now you're working on a, a pretty big feature piece, which I don't know if I want to say any more than that, but we're excited. <laughs> yeah, I was going to gonna say, out. don't say any more than that because I don't know when it's going to run. Uh, yeah, I'm working on what what has uh, what I have been working on for like a month, and um, it's getting close to the finish line. I I hope to have it across the finish line soon, but and then uh, and then my entire self worth will be on the line as people read it. So we'll see how that goes. <laughs> <laughs> Can't relate. <laughs> it's the beauty of the podcast. You just record the next one and pretend the last one didn't happen. Well, that's what I do with ninety five percent of my stories, but this one's yeah. a little, little, little precious. Well. Once that runs, uh, we'll make sure everyone gets their eyes on it because uh, no doubt that it's going to show everyone exactly why Max Boltman um, is worth the price of the admission. But let's talk about the trade deadline. Um, I know Monday seems like a century ago, but 
It wasn't necessarily a quiet one, but it wasn't the big boom that we saw last year with the Anthony Mantha trade. But still, Steve Eisenman and the Red Wings did some work. Um, and we saw a little bit of that on display in last night's game with Philly. So uh, why don't we break this down trade by trade and start with the easy one. Uh, Troy Stetcher to the LA Kings for a seventh. Yeah, the, I, I heard as you put it in the last episode, the uh, earth-shattering blockbuster. I mean, this was this was a Still classic. Recovering. That's right. This was a classic uh, get something, right? Like if you can get something, get something. Um, I, I don't know how you felt about it. I, I tend to think Troy Stetcher is worth more than a seventh-round pick, but I do get it. Like he hadn't really been playing in Detroit. It's hard to have leverage for a guy when I, – was. I don't, I don't know if it was you who made this point in our group chat, but it's just like – um, at some point, the other GM tells you like, well, you're playing him as your fourth right D. So don't tell me he's worth more. Like, here's yeah. your seventh rounder. Like, take it. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's exactly it. It was really funny with Troy because, you know, he looks so good. He carried Mark Stahl really for that first half of the season he was on the team pretty much. And ever since he had that injury, he never really got back to form. And I think part of that... Obviously, he got hurt devastatingly again. He missed, I think, I calculated almost 50% of his games with Detroit. Um, But also part of that is his usage never really went back up. And I get it, you know, being behind Lindstrom, Ronick, and Sider, you're not going to make it back up very easily. And Lindstrom had time to establish himself, so you don't blame Jeff Blaschel for leaving Stetcher down the lineup. It was a perfect storm for a guy to be sold at undervalue. Lindstrom was playing well, like, you know, in, in when Lindstrom stopped playing well, uh, which wasn't like, you know, some prolonged period, but he had a, a really, really bad game against Arizona. Obviously, I think that was the dash six game. And, and then Stetcher came in and I thought Stetcher looked like Troy Stetcher, but, um, you know, he's going to a playoff team. I think he's reunited with Alex Edler there. And that, that was his longtime partner, um, I believe, right in, uh, in Vancouver. So, yeah. or at least longtime teammate. So, uh, no, I mean, the Kings got a guy who, who's going to be really good for what they do. They're, they're a competitive, hard team. He is, um, small, but he is a competitor and he, he has always been a high motor guy. I know that's what, uh, that's the basis of his game. And so, um, I, I like that trade for the Kings, for the Red Wings. You know, I, if they weren't going to resign Trey Stetcher, at least they got something and they get Lindstrom back in the lineup. I don't have a problem with it. Uh, but it's similar to, I guess I'll just, I'll transition us here for you, Ryan, uh, to the Nemesnikov trade, which was like, you know, Every year, this guy gets traded for a fourth-round pick, it seems like. Every, every contract year, I should say. Every time he's a – I think he did it twice in one year, actually. Uh, and and that's the, that's clearly the market price for Vlasov Domestikov. You would think, having watched him, as you and I both have, this is a guy who, you know, if if if, if uh, Nick Paul can get a third-round pick, I don't really understand why Domestikov doesn't. But, hey, you know, that's – that's uh, what the market price is, and they took it rather than get nothing. So I, I can't really knock that too hard either. Yeah, you know, without presuming to know the way Steve Eisenman thinks it works, and I've long since given up on that endeavor. Um, that I'm this sorry, one came- Nick Paul wasn't a fourth round pick. That he got traded for it was it was there it was Joseph in a fourth. I actually don't know the details of that trade. That might that one might have come through as we were recording. That was it was it was Matthew Joseph and a fourth. Which honestly, like that's even better than a third round pick. So yeah, Yeah. you know, and nothing against Nick Paul. He's he's a good player, but like I think Domestikov fills the exact same role. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Maybe part of it's you know being on the Red Wings, but like I was about to say, this came late in the game, right? Like that was a three p.m. trade, pretty much. So at that point, you can kind of glean that. 
Nemestikov could be a fit on a lot of teams. Eisman was probably just seeing how high you could drive the price. And the market on forwards wasn't it wasn't the same as for defense this year. Not like it was D. Yeah, that's exactly no. right. I mean the the D uh, the D kind of got out of hand and, and for a while there they reined in a little bit from from Ben Chiratland there. But uh, <laughs> honestly, like the Nick Letty trade, I thought the Red Wings did quite well. I mean they, they my thing was. I didn't think that that trade personally was panning out um, as at least I expected. I don't know what the Red Wings expected. Um, I don't think Nicoletti was like as bad as like his plus minus or whatever would indicate necessarily. But I didn't think that he had maybe the intended um, big time, you know, rising tide lifts all boats kind of effect there. And I, I, I thought at times he looked a little overwhelmed in, in Detroit's system, which is very different from New York or uh, not you know, not necessarily like in terms of intent, but in terms of quality, it's very different from the Islanders. And um, so for them to be able to recoup the second round pick that they gave up for him and get a couple of guys who, even if St. Louis was just unloading contracts, uh, I think both these guys helped Detroit at minimum for the rest of this season. And it looks like a pretty decent chance. They're both, uh, they got a chance to like help them next year too. Yeah, it's funny because the trade came through. And and I think before the trade deadline, I don't know what you were expecting personally. Uh, you're hearing Cody Stavenhagen's dog in the background. I personally love it, Max. <laughs> it was uh, on your live room on The Athletic. I love that he he had a feature on there. Um, She's great. Yeah, Olive. Oh, yes. That's right, Olive. I wasn't now expecting. she's looking at me because I said her name. <laughs> <laughs> Give her a treat. <laughs> Come on, man. I personally wasn't expecting Nick Letty to garner a second. And this was before the the Sherratt trade happened. Yeah. I don't think Letty had a good year. Uh, like you said, it, it wasn't a complete breakdown. He was still one of Detroit's best puck movers up the ice. And you can see he had little stints where he really found his game in the offensive zone, especially. But overwhelmed is the right word. You know, there's no Pulak. There's no Pelic in yeah. Detroit. Um, and he didn't have that much time with Moritz Sider. Anyhow, the price was obviously driven up. We saw that he got the second. So... Again, to recap, it was Witkowski and Letty at half uh, salary retained in exchange for a 2023 second. Jake Wallman, left-handed defenseman, and Oscar Sungfist, uh, who is you can play wing or center, played on, for, on the wing for Detroit last night. After watching Jake Wallman for a game, I understand St. Louis Blues fans' frustrations because I think Jake Wallman was doing all the same things Nick Letty was doing for Detroit. And it's a one-game sample size, so I'm going to sound like an idiot soon, I'm sure, but he almost looked better. Well, there's certain ways that I do think that was true. I I think um, in terms of Nick Letty's passing, I I think that's at a better level than Jake Wallman's, you know, and, and, you know, it should be, he's Nick Letty, right? Um, But I think in terms of the puck transporting, it's, it's right there too. And I think, uh, and importantly, he made a couple of neutral, forced a couple of neutral zone turnovers that I think um, that's going to be the basis for whether he sinks or swims in Detroit is Jeff Blaschel's made it clear. He wants to see him use his skating as a defensive trait to kill plays early. That is a great way to kill plays early, to be aggressive, use your quick jump, um, some burst. And hey, if you get it and you can take it the other way, all the better. So, um, you know, he kind of made the not so much a comparison, but like the allusion to Nick Jensen and how Nick Jensen um, was able to use yeah. really good skating to be a good defender. I think that's what they would like to see out of Jake Wallman. We'll see whether they do or not. But immediately, you're right. I mean, we were, we were texting about during the game. Okay, there's definitely something there. And, and this is obviously someone Steve Eisman said he's had his eye on for years. Um, and, and now you see why. And, and Sunquist, you saw why they liked him right away, too. Again, I'm, I'm sure St. Louis would have preferred to keep him in a non-cap world. Um, but in terms of a, a big defensive forward who is smart, 
um, and who clearly knows how to play winning hockey, that's something the Red Wings lacked on every front. So uh, that that's an immediate help to them too, really in the replacing Nemesnikov, but also kind of in, in an important way, like in some, some specific elements that even Nemesnikov didn't necessarily have. I think he played winning hockey, but he didn't have quite the size that Sundqvist did and maybe not quite the defensive pedigree, even though he was still a good defensive player. Yeah. Sundqvist has a little bit more of a specialization to him, I find. Yes, and he plays a very hard-nosed – yeah, he, he plays a very hard-nosed game. And not that he was um, like the most major factor on the goal, but it was nice to see that goal go in and he was the one crashing the net, being just being the big body and nuisance in front. It was a little bit of a microcosm of what we might get with Sunkfist. Yeah, no, I, I think that's right. And I think, you know, he gets the two points, both on empty netters. But I, my longstanding philosophy on empty netters is um, there's every bit is earned because what it means is the coach trusted you on the ice in the, the hardest defensive situation, the most important defensive moment. So um, two points there. And, and you know, yeah, it's, it's not going to be a an every night thing for him. But um, he was involved in, in that first goal, creating havoc around the net that ultimately leads to Rasmus Ristolainen and running Carter Hart and allowing Joe Valeno to roof that wraparound. So uh, another element that they need and, and that one, uh, you know, there's no reason he can't bring that every night. Uh, and you did some investigative work with the the help of our friends over at Cap Friendly as to Jake Wallman's uh, expiry status. So walk us through that. Yeah. So I wasn't sure whether or not he would be considered a group six UFA, which is players who have three years of pro experience are 26 with an expiring contract and have played fewer than 80 NHL games. Um the reason I'm asking is that that threshold, the Red Wings didn't have enough games as I understood it. I, he was at 58 games. The Red Wings only had 20 games left um, to do it. And But what, what Cap Friendly told me is it was prorated because of COVID down to 75. Um, so that means you know, he, he obviously only needs to get to, I think it was 17 games out of the Red Wings' last 20. Um, now it's only 16 of their last 19. If he, if he plays in all those games, then the Red Wings will retain – his RFA status. And, and obviously if he becomes a UFA, it's not like it's the end of the world. It's not like his number is going to be $7 million or whatever, but you'd prefer to have the team control if you could have it. And so I, I would assume that he's in the lineup um, for at least that many games down the stretch. Uh, I mean, he's maybe not a $7 million guy, but very likely could end the season as Detroit's best left-handed well, I mean, you, you've already got him ahead of Letty. So, I mean, break out the $5.5 million contract. Hey, hey, hey well... <laughs> Uh, and, and the piece coming back here that's obviously most notable, I mean, it's easy to look at players, but the Red Wings recouped the second round pick that they uh, initially gave up to get Nick Letty. Now, I, I don't want to talk about, I think everyone agrees that's great value to get what you gave for a guy plus, and, yep. and that's all well and good. But you mentioned a little bit of this in your uh, post deadline piece on the Athletic Detroit, which everyone go read. And if you can't read like Evan or Brad, just do a text to speech thing. Um this is, you know, Eisenman now has to make some decisions or people think he might have to make some decisions as to where he's going to go with this deadline because does he use this as a launch pad to accelerate things and take advantage of what Mo Sider and Lucas Raymond have done or does he stay the course and really double down on adding assets and offloading guys who have, you know, expiring contracts or, or are aging out of the rebuild, so to speak? I'm fascinated to see. I mean, it's, it's, uh, they, they did it last year for the first time. I mean, they, they had traded like fourth round pick for Adam Ernie and, um, stuff like that in the past, but to, to see them give up a second round pick and then a third round pick in about a one week span for Letty and Nadelkovich, um, 
I thought that was a really interesting shift in how they handled business last summer. They were getting now players, and Delkovich was at least young. Letty was a one-year rental, and obviously you see it worked out great. They got the pick back, whatever. Um, maybe they knew they were going to be able to do that all along. You never know. But um, either way, to see them giving up a second-round pick, I thought was notable because, it, you know, yes, it could have just been they want to have Letty around Cider and Heronic. I do think that was probably a very large part of it. Um but you always also want to get better. And I think he, he seems to be in a mold where he's really itching to win now or, or starting to, I mean, I don't think that means he's ready to abandon patience, but you heard him talk even in the answer that he gave about Jeff Blaschel about how painful the last six weeks had, had been and, and how hard that had been the ups and downs there. Um, you know, look, this is the end of the third season of Iserman, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's uh, he, he's got more, trust from his fan base than any team in this situation in the NHL. I also uh, have a, a decent inkling that he's a pretty big competitor. and I don't think he wants to be bad forever either. So yeah, what does he do? Does he say, you know, this team has Dylan Larkin and Tyler Bertuzzi in their prime and Jacob Vrana in his prime um, and Philip Peronik getting to his prime and, you know, whatever you think of Philip Peronik. I mean, if you don't think that much of him, um, you can subtract him from that conversation, I guess. But my point being, you have guys who have been in your core and, and were certainly in your core um, on the day that he took over having career years. I mean, Dylan Larkin's having a career year. Tyler Bertuzzi's having a career year. Um, and, and they have one year left on their deals. So if I'm the Red Wings, I, number one, would like to get that taken care of as soon as this summer. He gave a much broader uh 18 month, I think he probably meant like 16 month, you know, assuming getting to July one, um, yeah. range on, on doing that. But number two, I, I want to know, like, am, am I building around winning in these guys prime or am I really shifting my focus longer term to, to Mo Sider and, and Lucas Raymond and Simon Edvinson and whoever they're going to pick this year? Um, I, ideally, I'm sure, you know, in, in Tampa, they were able to kind of have it a little bit of both ways, but you know, they had Stamkos and Hedman, who are elite players, um, still kind of late prime, um, maybe not even prime for, for Stamkos. Um, and, and then they obviously had the, the mid-prime, early prime, however you want to put it, of, of Point, of, of Sorelli, of Kucherov, even Kucherov a little bit older. But, um, you know, are you going for something like that, or are you really kind of doing what Colorado had to do? And, and Matthew Shane, who at one point is centerpiece there, gets moved out and, and it, it becomes all about McKinnon, Rantanen, and, and you keep Landeskog. Obviously, he was an older player, but I don't know. These are all the questions I'm, I'm rambling because it's a, it's a, you can, you can really talk yourself in a circle this way. It's like, what, what do you want to do? And I don't know what they're going to do. I don't, I don't know if they know what they're going to do. Um, but they kind of got to start doing it one way or the other. I think they've been able to kind of, it's not like they've been inactive, but other than the Mantha trade and maybe the Athanasiu trade, it, their moves have been pretty much like, okay, yeah, you know, you got to trade this guy or, or, you know, let this guy walk or buy out this guy, whatever. Um, it's getting to brass tacks with some pretty important players here now. And, and even with yeah. Manta, they got back Verona. So it, it's not like that was really kicking it down the road too much. It was just kind of a deal that made too much sense not to do. Get a similar age player and a first round pick and a second round pick. So I think they got to start doing one way or the other. You got to start loading up or you got to make the hard decisions that, that kick this thing down the road. And I don't know, like what, what would your appetite be for three more years? Like the last three, you know, it, it's, 
I, I try to catch myself, right? Because I try to stay a little bit objective and say, all right, what's the most prudent thing for the most optimal rebuild? But we don't live in that space, right? Steve Eisman doesn't live in that space. He has an owner who wants butts and seats. They have a brand new arena. You can't suck forever or otherwise you're going to alienate the fan base. And, you know, you and I, we've covered this team for how long now? And it's yep. been, you know, it's a grind. It's so... Yeah, I can sit here and say, like, I had the hot take last episode of one of Verona, Hronik, or Bertuzzi will be traded or won't be on the team before next season. And it's easy for me to say that, but you're right. The appetite has to be there. And it's not even just from a business sense. You said earlier, and actually someone who came onto your uh, live room on The Athletic, they made a really good point. Eisman, that guy fucking hates losing. Hates it. You remember the video from the Arizona game? Yeah. Oh my god! I you almost are never able to glean anything from just like a five second clip, but you could see it there. I felt like I was in trouble. That's what we were joking about. Like we all felt like we had done something wrong to disappoint Steve. <laughs> all we were doing is watching the game. So yeah, and I get caught up. I think I and a lot of people get caught up in the Bedard Meechkoff draft, which is not this one but the next. Yeah. But I don't know. Does a GM really think that way? They don't really bank on winning the lottery. Well, you can't bank on what, like, you know, you know, especially like you, you look at Iserman and the team that he has in front of him. If if Alex and Delkovich doesn't have the six-week stretch, and Thomas Grice, I, I shouldn't put this all in the Delkovich, the six or seven-week stretch that he's had in the last six or seven weeks, he's looking at picking like 12th or 13th and not even having a chance to win the lottery. All of his uh, – All of agrees. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, that's not a situation that you want to be – I mean, that draft is good. Like, you know, from, from what I understand and from the little that I have seen, uh, you know, if you're picking like six or seven in that draft, you're still going to get a really, really good player. Uh, he might not be. Like, you know – in, in Unless you're going to really take major pieces out and that adds years to your rebuild. Like at that point, if you're taking, like, let's say you do some, let's, let's say Bertuzzi, because he was the one who was in all the speculation, right? If you subtract Bertuzzi, I would love to know where people think you're getting another point per game winger that plays the way that he does, right? Like, you're not. You're not. Not right now. Not anytime soon. You might be, you might get bad enough to get, you know, down low and and you're probably not getting, you know, Bedard, Michkov, Fantilli. Uh, Let's say you get like a Charlie Stramel. Yeah, he might be. He might be that kind of guy. Do do you know it for a sure? Like, how much would you bet on it? Like, you know, all these guys in the next year's draft, and there are plenty, you know, go Dalbor, Dvorsky, Leo Carlson. I think there's, you know, really intriguing ceilings there even the other usa guys like i I saw will smith play a while back and and that's a really intriguing player who who brings a lot of elements but how much are you going to bet that you're not only going to get that player but that they're going to turn into like you know a 60 70 point guy um quick enough for you to take advantage of what you want to do or that you know if if they're not going to do that then you're just in this longer so i'm not saying it's the wrong move to be continue to be patient but I am saying it, it's it sometimes gets treated like if you just are bad long enough, you'll be good. And there are ample examples around the league of that not being the case. So the the plan can't just be I will pick I will pick a stud top ten every year. And so far in Detroit, he has like credit to him, right? But if you go back to Tampa, that wasn't the case every year. And there's I'm not aware of any team really. Well, I mean, ever, but like. I'm not aware of anything that like is built right now on lottery talent that didn't miss at least once, right? Like you look at like Vancouver and they missed with Ulevi and Vertanen and I'm trying to think of who like 
like I'm trying to think of a good team ideally, but most of the good teams have been picking in the top range. Of, I guess like you could say St. Louis, but like even they, like you trade for O'Reilly, you trade for Shen. Yeah. Um, Washington, but like it's not like they didn't miss at all. Well, you name St. Louis and Washington, and most people would say they won after their window, yeah, so to speak, was right, passed. Right, right. Pittsburgh. So, okay, Pittsburgh got, you know, Stahl, Crosby, Malkin, uh, and Flirt. Yeah. Well, Latang was second rounder. Yeah, Latang like, was later. You know, yeah. th- those top guys, like, they really did. Okay, like, but that's because you got Crosby. Yeah. You, are, are you getting right or Bedard? And, and really, we're talking Bedard if we're talking Crosby? Ah, I don't know. Well, how much would I be willing to bet on it? Not that much. And honestly, you know, watching what you did with six over fourth, a fourth and a sixth overall pick, you have to have a lot of faith in your draft and development. Totally. Team. So drafting ninth, eleventh, thirteenth isn't so scary. And it shouldn't be, right? Those aren't those are great picks. It doesn't yeah. it's not first or no. Cole Sillinger went what, twelfth last year? He looks like yeah. a great player. And I mean, even this year you you were just at the top prospects game. I mean, you, you saw players tonight who uh, are good looking players that are going to go in the teens, you know? Yeah. Uh, teens or twenties, you know, like who, who knows? Like where's Nathan Gaucher going? Uh, where's Owen Pickering going? Right. Like, you know, I'm not saying those guys are on the level of, of, you know, the, the top guys, but it's not like the only good guys live in the top five and we know who they are a year and a half out in advance. Every single year, there is an elite player picked in the teens or twenties every year. I need to, uh, <laughs> the most cider experiment going so well has reignited my heavy bias towards wanting defensemen. So even though there's this incredible need for a sentiment, like you're a check I'm going for, uh, the oh, watching Owen Pickering tonight, I'm like, I want that guy on the Red Wings. Brad's going to murder me. Right. Yeah. This, this draft, last question here, this draft, does it have to be center in the first round? No, I don't think so. I, I think. If you if you end up taking ideally it's a center or a D because those are the two most valuable and hardest to find positions, um, that's the case every year. If if it's a winger, like you know, pick your winger, Danila Yurov or whatever, or uh, Savoy. If you don't think he's a center, like if that's if that's the guy, that's the guy, and and you and you got to go to free agency and you got to sign Vincent Trocheck or whatever you got to do, and and um, yeah, you'd love to draft the center, but I don't think you can get caught reaching so hard for a center that you sacrifice, you know, a clearly better player. And people kind of got mad at me last year because I was um, an early Mason McTavish believer around draft time. Yeah. um, Saying, you know, this, this should be the guy who the Red Wings go for. And they were like, no, you got to go best player available. And, you know, my argument was, okay, if you compare Mason McTavish to William Eklund, I, I get some of the tools that Eklund has that like make you think the offensive ceiling here are crazy. But my point is a 60 point center does, especially a 60 point two way center is often the better, more valuable player than a 70 point winger, right? Like it's what, what are you, what are you going to have a harder time finding? What are you going to have a hard time finding in free agency this summer? What would you have had a hard time finding on the trade market yesterday or two days ago? Um, I think it's the center. So my argument for that tends to be like, yes, yeah, center indeed, because of how scarce those positions are at the high levels, they often are the most valuable player. Um, but it doesn't mean a winger can't be. Like I, I'm, I don't know. Let, let's say you're torn between Savoy and Geeky, and you know, obviously, I think Geeky is more likely to be a center. I think I would prefer to draft Savoy. What do you right think? Right now, right now, I'm taking Savoy every day. 
So, you know, and, and I don't know whether NHL scouts agree with us on that, but I see a lot of dynamic qualities in Savoy and I, I see a, a lot of tools in geeky, but I would rather have Savoy. I might, I, I've had people tell me I'm wrong about for that, but that's how I would feel, you know? Um, I don't know. It's going to be an interesting summer. It is. It absolutely is. And, and it, it's, it's not just the draft this year, which is great, right? Like it's, every year it seems like the Christmas is the draft and I'm not saying it's not going to be Christmas this year too. I'm sure it will, especially uh, for people who decide to go. Um, I can't wait to go back to a live draft, knock on wood that it, it actually ends up being live. But um, the fact that I think free agency kind of seems like it's in play and some fun trade fireworks seem like there could be in play. Like, you know, it, that's, that's very fun. So good to be All back right. there. Sorry for rambling on your show. <laughs> Max, while you're here, it's your show, man. You're you're part of the uh, the. No, I don't assume podcast. liability for that. That's a nice clever <laughs> trick. Just, just like just like you, you're almost got me back for agreeing to cover the tab of my uh, ill-advised Pappy Van Winkle declaration on Twitter. I do not yeah. accept liability. You did accept well, liability. I actually threw out the laptop that I typed that tweet on, so there's no evidence anymore. And, and I know how the internet works. I did. Uh, I did rope Prashant in. We have Prashant. You did. To that's accept. that's absolutely right. And and yeah. um, there was some other person who said he was invested too, and I was like, okay, perfect. Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah. We'll have to give him a shout out properly. So that's great. It won't that's be an great for me because Torkelson did hit seventh in their spring training game today. <laughs> I'll be like. Um, I'll be like the actor in the commercial. Who's the actor who does the crypto.com commercial? It drives me nuts. Uh, I don't have that commercial here. That must be a Canada thing. Fuck, man. It's Congratulations. Anyway. Yeah, I'll be the face <laughs> of it. I won't Canada, money. big on crypto. Big Dude, on crypto in Canada. They did a Bitcoin giveaway at the arena today uh, wow. between whistles. Yeah. There's some weird, weird. Anyhow. Make sure you uh, get a poutine NFT for me. <laughs> no, we're going to get proper poutines in Montreal <laughs> when we go. All right. That sounds good. Folks, uh, Max Boltman uh, of The Athletic Detroit, uh, if you don't already, subscribe. I read it every morning. Uh, I read the article and then I text Max afterwards. He hates it. And I encourage you to do the same thing. Uh, Max, thank you for joining us on the show. And until next time. My pleasure, man. Thanks for having me as always. So last episode, when we were doing our trade deadline recap, we were moaning and groaning about why it took so long. And Evan, you were talking about the hamster wheel. And it uh, turns out it wasn't the hamster wheel. It was uh, the Sens forgot to register a trade list, a no trade list way back. And um, Did they or did Vegas just not read the contract? It was the Ottawa Senators. So what ended up happening with the Dodonov trade, which I'll pull up the exact details for you here in a second. Um, essentially, Dodonov was traded from the Ottawa Senators to the Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, not just this trade deadline, but previous. Um and as he, when he, they did that, the Ottawa Senators did not transfer the information of his 10 team no trade list to the Vegas Golden Knights because they, for one reason or another, either they misfiled it or they forgot he had one or they thought he didn't submit it. But it turns out Dodonov did submit that no trade list in time uh, based Who on. Who did he submit it to? The team. And he got receipts. So he, oh. he submitted it to the Ottawa Senators as per his contract. He got receipt, like a, an email back saying, yep, we received the no trade list. It was on June 30th. July 1st was the cutoff date. So he got it in in time. Ottawa traded him to Vegas. Vegas uh, wasn't on his 10-team no trade, but Ottawa also didn't transfer the information of the no trade list. So Wouldn't it be in his contract that he's got a no trade 
Well, that's the thing. Yes. Vegas was assuming it was voided. So essentially, Vegas thought he didn't have that trade list because they assumed or Ottawa told them or something that he had not submitted uh, the 10-team no-trade list in time. Turns out he had. Anaheim was on that list. Vegas tried to trade Dodonov to Anaheim. Didn't work out. The trade got officially voided. So it was pretty once it once the details all came out, it was pretty cut and dry. Everyone is saying, you have to void this trade. He was in his contract. You can't trade him to Anaheim. Sorry. There's nothing else around it. And now it gets messy because Vegas is in a bind because they cannot activate all the players they have on injured reserve because they do not have the cap space to do so because they still have Dodonov's cap hit, which is about $5 million. Now, one piece of information we got partially correct, but we'll call it mostly wrong in a previous episode is a player can still be traded after the deadline, but he is no longer eligible for any games this season. I don't think we're the only people who misunderstood that because online it seemed like everyone was like, what the, what? Yeah, (laughs) it has been clarified. So the guy who gets really screwed here is Dodonov because there is still 21 teams out there that the Golden Knights can trade him to. And they're probably not all playoff teams. Yeah. So there could be a team, you know, let's say... Arizona, Detroit, New Jersey. I don't know. Pick pick a team with cap space and nothing to play for this year. Who can go, yeah, we'll save your ass. Uh, we'll also take, you know, a second round pick and a prospect to take him. And Donov won't be able to say no. And he won't be able to play the rest of the season. So there's also possibility of, I, I think it's already voided, so it couldn't. But that could have also been some leverage, Vegas, to strong arm him and going to Anaheim. It's like, hey, if you go to Anaheim now, you're playing this year. If not. Who knows what will happen? Well, so, if he stays in Vegas, he might not play in the playoffs anyway. Well, <laughs> because Vegas has to do something. They do not have the option. They have a lot, uh, at least two players who are coming off LTIR relatively soon with big cap hits. I think they said they have like 10 people on yeah. injured reserve. It was Leonard and someone else are coming off soon. And then you still have Riley Smith, Mark Stone, and someone Alec else. Martinez, Alec Martinez. Alec Mar- Martinez. Mark Stone as well. Yeah. That's going to be. Jake Biscoff, who's a minimum player. But yeah, that's a lot of cap hit coming back into Vegas. Cap's stupid. Yeah. The cap is a myth because what do you want to bet? We're going to hear a whole lot of delays and setbacks on uh, Golden Knight player injuries over the next couple of weeks. They have to, but they have to clear a lot of money, man. Like, oh, yeah. The, the guys you guys listed, it is a ton of money. I'm seeing. $19.5 million right now on injured reserve and then another 15 on LTIR. And like, yeah, if Leonard's done for the season, that's one thing. Anyhow. Which doesn't sound like he is. He sounds like he's almost ready to come back. And Dodonov, so part of why Dodonov didn't want to go to Anaheim is, you know, income tax. He's making $5 million a year. So for him, it's, I don't even know if it's about playoffs, but he just wants to go somewhere where he's he feels like his his income's not going to be shaved off. And that's much different from Nevada that, to California. I think like almost all players, their no trade list is basically shitty places to live and tax implication. hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. It's, I actually think it's more uncommon for those lists to be purely based on winning. That's, oh yeah. That's like guys who have, who've made their dime and, you know, just want to win one before the end of their careers. Oh, maybe. Yeah. <clears throat> so anyhow, um, 
all this is is culminating in the Vegas Golden Knights have to make a trade here to otherwise they're they're not going to have a a viable team with all their star players on injured reserve. Um, and every team, thirty one other teams in the league know the position they're in. Who's that that guy behind the tree? Like yeah, yeah, yeah. That, this is what it is. But here's the thing: look around the league. How many? Nobody, no other team can make trades right now. How many teams have five mil in space to just take him? It's it ain't not gonna be cheap. Many. It ain't gonna be cheap. San Jose, Sh- or sorry, yeah, San Jose, Sharks. which will be on his no trade because of the California tax bracket. Arizona, the Rangers, the Devils, Kraken, Preds, Ottawa Senators, Anaheim Ducks, Blue Jackets, Red Wings, Sabers. So like half of those teams would probably be on that list. A, a good chunk of them, yeah. So that's a lot of leverage for those remaining teams. If the if the Vegas Knights don't make the playoffs, you fire your GM, right? No, no, they, no, how do they you not? They, this is a fluke season. Like we're talking about, look how many of their top players have barely played. Listen, this, year. this is the most embarrassing thing for a GM to do. And it's not been, on. And he's there. This is what happens when you spend recklessly. Is well. Okay, first of all, their team has been built in this way for a while. You can't just pull out of this system and say, okay, we're going to force ourselves to suck even though we have Mark Stone, you know, not exactly in his prime years or approaching them. Like he's on the, he's, he's moving in the other direction. How old is Mark Stone now? Late 20s. Yeah, like you have to take advantage of those years from Mark Stone. That's how they were built from the start. They were gunning from it and you really kind of have to do that until the well runs dry. But it's not on them. They didn't know the clause was was still active because Ottawa didn't report it. I mean, you should definitely do okay. your due diligence when you're buying and selling something. I am especially when it's everyone's supposed to be a lawyer. I'm I'm with Evan here. The, I will agree the Yeah, get ma- fucked Ryan. <laughs> piece of shit. The majority of the blame lands on Ottawa, but I mean his no trade clause was listed on cat friendly. F- they did I not know, talk I know. to him or his agent they once call, since he, he's been there. They called the agent when they said they were making the trade. To which his so agent could have been. There's 365 uh, here. Wait. I think, no. I think the agent did say that. But then they still process the trade. So they didn't call him till after him. No, no. So Vegas has no. a bad rep of not talking to the player or fair. the agent before they trade someone. <laughs> so it's been reported. I think Freed said this that he does believe that they called him before, but they were so certain. That the the trade clause wasn't active because again the information that they had from the Sens was that his list was not filed on time and so and thus his trade protection was null and void. Maybe figure that out before like but ten, why, mi- what ten minutes to, before your homework's but due. But dude, they had they thought they had it figured out. Like it's, they didn't. <laughs> but it okay in retrospect. But how if you contact another team, your GM, and you say. His trade, like the agent is saying he has protection. They're like, no, we have record that he didn't submit his trade list. You go with that, right? But what and record se- would they have that they, that he didn't submit it if he did? That, yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's why Ottawa's the one who screwed up here. Ottawa messed up hard. I, and look, I'm not saying Vegas is blameless. They probably should have. You done- think Steve Eisenman wouldn't know what players on his team to have a no do do or do not have a no trade clause it's the trade it's the trade from ottawa to vegas they they, they didn't realize they were getting an asset with it with a trade clause okay so well, one of two things happened here and i'm still gonna lay a good amount of blame on vegas for this because the first one is yeah this trade kind of came to fruition last minute they were obviously coming up to the deadline they did not have time to really dive in 
and figure out the exact logistics of this. Okay, you can understand that's why they might be pretty forceful about this. Dodonov was on the block for weeks. We all knew that he was on the block. This was what I don't get. They they had all the time in the world because they did not start shopping Dodonov that day. They had the world of time to get confirmation on that. And whether or not it was active or not, they had to have known weeks ago he had it, which means they had ample opportunity to clarify whether it was voided or not. But why would they feel they need to clarify if by the rules they thought the the this isn't some like random occur it happens players trade protection get uh, trade protection gets voided for one reason or another they break the contract they Not don't submit more though no when they don't submit something on time when they if they have no trade list like those are contingent on submitting those trade lists at certain time and if you don't do it then that that clause is null and void in in a lot of contracts and that's it's not it's happened before like so many people had to screw up here absolutely so many people because had to like screw up. even going down to it cuz again Dodonov's name has been out there for a while another person who probably knew that his name was out there was his agent who probably should have called Vegas 2 weeks ago hey reminder here's his list to which then Vegas could have argued 2 weeks ago no, it's voided. Conspiracy. This is why you don't do your homework five minutes before. <laughs> yeah, you do. like conspiracy theory. They let it ride because they knew Ottawa had screwed up in the past, <laughs> and because he didn't even want to get traded from Vegas. Because it's Vegas, you want to stay in Vegas. Oh baby. my god, this is like what a mess. First of all, holy shit! Think about this conversation. Mickey Mouse League. It is. It, this is some Mickey joke. Mouse bullshit. Like it, embarrassing. The the end result from this, the, the speculation is that now these clauses are all going to be part of central registry. To which you think, why was it not anyways? Uh, honestly. You can't bog them down anymore as it is. They're, they've got one co-op who's working. <laughs> the NHL cannot. Goes home at 2 on Fridays. Yeah. The, the amount of times the NHL just trips over itself and can't even get a cap dump trade done right. We didn't even mention last episode, though. Funniest part of NHL trade deadline was this was the culmination of weeks of GMs going back and forth and humming and hawing about trading this second liner for a second round pick and this third liner for a fourth round pick that took months to do. And the biggest damn trade of the day was in the NFL. I never understood this argument. Like I, I, yeah, actually, I don't get this. What? What? Yeah, one I, of the one of the most. I'm not gonna say legendary, but one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL for the last 15 years got traded that day, and that's all the American news networks were talking it? about. Drew Locke got traded weeks ago. Matt Ryan got traded from Atlanta to Indy. Okay, I in a really in a that trade <laughs> that came to fruition in what feels like an hour and a half. I. Okay, I I'm I've partaken in the conversation where you recognize like it's funny the disparity. Yeah. I don't give a shit that the trades are like No, 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 no. I know. I it's just it's a meme. It just adds to the hilarity. You have a a really simple, meaningless trade in the NHL that can't go through fucking properly because of all the dumb garbage that we are talking about. Meanwhile, the NFL's That's- like we're trading a franchise quarterback in an hour. 
Or I saw that Tyreek Hill is being traded. Yeah. And that took like a less than a day to cut. Miami's like, here's six draft picks and we're extending him for a billion dollars. I do appreciate just the YOLO that other sports have. I know. There's, there's like, you want LeBron James? All right, here's like our entire best players in our farm team yeah. and our next five first round picks. And they're like, okay. Every child in the city loves this player. You can have him for free. Yeah. Like it's like the most ridiculous. <laughs> Those are fun. The NHL trade line is not that great. Like, and this this specific thing isn't the NHL itself's fault. This isn't a Batman. It's the NHL. Just how NHL general general managers operate. But it'll never not be funny, right? I'm uh, I'm having a blast, but at the risk of taking this even further off the rails, we do have to talk a little bit. About- this isn't off the rails. No. I don't want to see what off the rails is. Oh, it's nice to shit on other teams, GM. <laughs> well, I mean, let's talk about that at the top prospects game. So we went to the CHL top prospects. I'm the game. only person who knows what an NHL GM looks like yeah. in the flesh, apparently. I need to tell I need to tell the listeners this. We often make fun of Brad for being a weird rain man. Like you name a you name a player and Brad is like he was wearing blue on the day he was drafted, which was in nineteen ninety nine. And the draft was in was on Neptune that year. You knew year. the humidity. Yeah. And Brad just retains that stuff. It's like Pierre Maguire, but mildly less annoying and way better hair. <laughs> Um, and I thought I thought Brad was the the only freak on this podcast. I don't think I'm normal, but Brad's oh, like definitely not. But, but Brad's genuinely like he's uh he's like a mutant in X Men. We're walking through the uh the odd in Kitchener where the CHL top prospects game was happening, and Evan, who doesn't know, like has probably worse recall than me. Like, oh God, yeah. We, we were walking through, and Evan goes. That's Pierre Dorian. That's uh, Julian Brisbois. That's Kevin Cheveldayoff. That's uh, that's Danny Briere. And I was just like, Evan, how do you know all this? He was the, like, the best thing that I could, how I can explain it is, if you had asked me who the Tampa Bay GM was, I'd probably say I have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> You're freak, but you're yet, freak like Brad. But yet there he is. <laughs> yeah, he's right there. You look up. I'm like, oh yeah, oh, there's Chevy. There he goes. Hey man. So the entire NHL brass and anyone who's anyone was was there. The Red Wings had representatives there too. Draper was there. Apparently, Eisman was there, but very intelligently hiding out. He's in his ghillie suit somewhere. Yeah. Fake mustache. <laughs> yes. Um, and it, the reason is the CHL top prospect games, for those who don't know, is across the entire Canadian Hockey League, which is comprised of the WHL, the OHL, and the QMJHL. Uh, they bring together a an assortment of the most eligible nhl uh draftees for this the upcoming is it just is it purely the upcoming draft class it's purely guys who are it's the top prospects in the chl eligible for this upcoming for the draft. 2022 draft and they stick them on a team red and a team white and they there's like a testing day beforehand and there's a practice that the scouts watch and everything and uh obviously they're involved in that part but the draw is the game where the best way I can describe it is it's an all-star game, except they're fighting for future jobs, so they care. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They were. There was a lot of hits thrown. <laughs> yeah. So Wright was there. Savoy was there. It, it was loaded, and it was actually really cool to see these guys in per- person. Um, takeaways from the game, even though it was just one game. Yeah. It was uh, the most boring outcome of that was the guys who were billed as potential top 10 top 15 picks by and large 
really did stand out. You can see why they're there. Um, Shane Wright had a very quiet second half of the game, but in the first period, especially you, you could see why Shane Wright was the top. He throughout the whole game did not make a bad play. You can tell he just processes that game at another level. He's not super fast, but he's not slow. He, he's got a wicked shot. He didn't really show off his hands all that much, but he was always in the right spot, always had his head on a swivel, could always make the play that needed to be made quickly. Like I don't think he's ever going to be a 90, 100-point scorer. Craig Button like bangs the table when talking about Shane Wright, saying this is Patrice Bergeron, which might be extreme, but you see why he says that. You understand the similarities. He does he's, literally everything right. Yeah. Does, yeah. Every – Every He's a coach's dream. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You need a guy to make the best play for you in a defensive situation. Wright's the guy. You need a guy who can transition the puck effectively and quickly. Shane Wright's the guy. You need a guy to be able to run off the cycle and be a shooting option or a passing option. Shane Wright's the guy. Like he doesn't wow you. He doesn't blow you away, but you watch him and you, you can't nitpick. There, there's no. nothing to nitpick. Yeah, I don't think he like he stood out in moments that game, but yeah. overall, I don't think he was the standout player. No, I, I agree. You're right that you can't nitpick what he was doing. Like, I think his maturity in his two way game was really impressive for me. If you're talking about quiet parts of his game, like yeah. when we say he did everything right, not just in the offensive zone, like both directions, and it really made me think like this guy gets taken likely first overall. He can probably slot in as a center. Next year, depending on the NHL team. And you look at the progression of his OHL season. He went first, like, if you break his season so far into four parts, he was one point per game. He was like 1.15. Then he was like 1.35. And now he's like 1.5. That that lost year has to just kill in terms of those kids' development. Like, it's just... Those are such important years. You're still learning the pro game. You're you're learning how to play as your body changes and as the bodies of your your competitions changing. As you're playing faster hockey, it's a formative year. It's, an, it's such an impactful year, and it just is lost. Scott Wheeler actually put out a really great story and and got into detail about a player who had to deal with that in the last year, just kind of playing everywhere and on a billion teams, and it was just like a disaster. Um, but who also coincidentally was. I'm sure you, for you as well, but my standout player of the game, yeah. which was Matt Savoy. Yeah. He, you, you can just see it. Like everything about his game, he is fast. He reacts quickly. He's got the hands to pull off what he does. He sees the lanes. Like, again, it's, it's the boring answer, but he was one of the guys who went into that game and you expected him to be a level above everybody else. And he very obviously was thinks the game so quickly yeah in the fitness testing not fitness testing but in the testing they did uh he was the top performer of the day like in terms of agility reaction time all that that quick twitch nhl (laughs) hockey type stuff he was the standout and shane wright was like right up there with him on all that too which is relevant but yeah apparently savoy just crushed the testing (sighs) age-old argument he plays center for the most part but he's what five nine five nine. Oh, he did not look big on the ice. That no. he, he came. He looks as like your little there. brother. Yeah, yeah. And it's, I don't know. You've seen small centers do it. We have so many prototypical stories, but also how many haven't. So maybe at the NHL level, he projects as a wing, and then how high up the lineup does he make it? I don't know, man. I think that kid's. I think that kid's talent is legitimate. Yeah, and it's 
like you said, I, I think it's special compared to his comp to his his peers. Like he is quick. He is quick with everything he does. He thinks the game super well. He has the tools. His skating is so funny. He has this weird like hop to his step where I almost am like, he's not going anywhere, but he moves. He gets around the ice. He looks like a little honey badger. He honestly does. Yeah. Yeah. He's uh relative to draft position, I don't care if he's a center or a wing oh obviously you want him to be a center but i am if he ends up as a wing i'm not bumming him down my draft board his talent is all you need to justify picking him in the top two or three of this draft a lot of projections have him going lower i know and that gets me excited so the red wings plummet down the standing (laughs) so aside from shane wright you know you take naser you take logan cooley are those guys that you take over Savoy there like in my mind right now, there's only outside of Shane, Wright, There's only one other guy in this draft that I'm considering putting ahead of Savoy as of now. Cooley. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I've got the top three is really starting to separate for me. If that makes sense. What else did we notice? Who did that? Who else stood out for you guys? Um, In terms of the not top 10 guys, um, I don't, we, thankfully we were talking about this all game so it doesn't look like we're just picking the player of the game but i man do i like jagger Furcus? he's good man i he's got some smooth hands yeah he's quick he um again a guy who just reacts to the play super fast and like savoy he's not big i almost felt guilty because going into that game i did not know much about jagger Furcus at all because like I've had a lot less time this year than in previous years to really get into my deep dives. And by now I'm usually well into the second round. Great projections. Great name. Yeah. I'm like, am I missing something? Did I like, I thought I had done at least rudimentary research on all the guys who are like the 35 to 40 guys who are projected to go in the first round in most rankings. He's not in those rankings. And then I started going down the rabbit hole last night and this morning of, Am I missing something here? Is he just not producing in the WHL? I go look at his stats. Nope, he's producing. 75 and 60. And then I I did a couple quick video breakdowns. I'm like, was this just the game of his life? Or is is he like, what am I missing? What play on a stacked team? Is Connor McDavid his line mate? Kind yeah. Of thing? The, the solution I came to is, uh, this is Braden Point 2.0. He's small. And he's not the fastest player in the world. But he's not even a bad skater. He's quick. There was zero bad... Well, not zero, but almost zero bad skaters out there. Yeah. So, uh, Connor Geeky. That's why I said almost zero. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But um, I don't know if I'm just overthinking this. But, man, Jager Furkus sure as hell looked the part of a first-round pick. And then all his production the rest of the season sure as hell backs up that of a first round pick. Like so now in my head I'm like, if he's six feet tall, is he a top fifteen pick? He's Oh yeah. Good. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. He is so good. Mostly because he'll just stand up to the scouts some more. They'll look at him automatically. Especially like the, the thing I love about being able to watch in person is you can get a whole scope of the ice and then you really get a better feel for that that twitchiness of a player. Do they see their best options quickly? And that was one of the big things that stuck out with Fergus is he does not waste time. Like one of the best plays he made all game on top of his beautiful goal and his assist, it was just a, an ozone cycle 
where one of his teammates made a bad pass. It got broken up. It came to him kind of. He had to take a few steps to get for it, get to it. And two defenders were also chasing the same puck. He just got to it and one touch saucer pass across to the zone right on the tape of of the best possible outlet that he could have had to set up a scoring chance. Like those are the plays that very few players that that age make because they don't have the ability to spot the broken play, get to it in time, realize the pressure and then scan for the options. It was all in one. And, you know, this is what we saw a lot of Shane Wright and Matt Savoy doing that game as well. Yeah. And not many other players doing that. I'm uh, I'm becoming a meme at this point, but like I said to Max, I really liked Owen Pickering. Yeah, he was good. I thought he was, he, he, was good. he was really mobile. I thought he moved the puck really well, and I thought he read the game really well for a yeah. defenseman on the left side. I'm just saying. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like, He's been a bit of a riser in the last month or so on, on some draft rankings too, yeah. so it, it makes sense that he looked that good. Uh, what did you guys think of Geeky? He was an interesting player to watch. Man, he is the worst skater to watch. In, in, I've, he was the worst looking skater out there, but when he gets up to speed, he starts moving. He moves, yeah. But he and he's a- ma- st- stuff was happening on and off his stick when he was in the, involved in the play. Yeah, you Good can't write bad. him off. <laughs> Good and bad, yeah. 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 I mean, most of the opponent's backs off of his stick with the cross checks. He, he has one of the traits that I, I really like in a hockey player, but not every coach does in the sense that he tries shit. He gets creative. Can I like pull a 10 foot toe drag around this defenseman? Maybe we're going to find out. And he goes for it. When he gets to top speed, he can move, but holy shit, does he need a lot of runway to get there? There was only one play. And when he's getting, getting up there, it does not look good at all. No. Overall, the impression I came away with was this is not a top half of the first round player. He does not. And like even forget skating his. He didn't make plays quickly either. Like he he plays slow. And again, for a big player that can work. And he definitely looked like one of the strongest players on the ice. And you definitely saw the hands and everything in that package that entices um, teams. So like you get it. But I, I left with more questions about him than i walked in with i also really liked um nathan goucher as well goucher goucher yeah well i'm english well <laughs> the uh part of my uh yeah i think uh, the yes, that, announcer was was messing that up yes too. that's probably what did it yeah. for me yeah uh he looked impressive uh, okay he looked, I, I don't think he's a maybe not a first round pick but somewhere in the second maybe but he's projected 20 to 30 most rankings i'm seeing right now yeah i thought like he's a big boy he he not only was he tall, he looked just solid. Um, he looked like a grown man. He looked like a grown ass man, <laughs> basically, is the best way to put it. And um, his two way game looked pretty good out there. He was making some stuff happen. I he's got the body to play in the, at yeah. the pro level. I just don't know nearly enough about him. Or seen anything really about him other than that one game to really have a um, an opinion on his to- the totality of his ability, um, but I thought he looked really good. The thing I like about this game is it gives you a lot of um, clues as to where to start digging deeper on guys because like 
you know, for the Red Wings left shot defenseman, you start going down that rabbit hole. Two that stood out to me. One is no surprise because he's ranked like 10 to 20, depending where you look. And he was a captain of Team White, which is Denton Batechuk. You very obviously see why he was one of the more highly rated skaters on the ice. He just makes plays happen quickly, effectively. He's not the biggest defenseman, but he can get around. Um, the one guy that I didn't know anything about, not one damn thing about, uh, going into that game, but I came away impressed, and I'll have to obviously dive deeper. Is a uh, Kevin Korchinski? I think he plays for Seattle in the Western yeah, Hockey League. He, Korchinski did do a good job of making his presence known out there. Yeah, he moves the puck really well, and yeah. he's very mobile because he didn't look that small. He's he's a, a tall, skinny defenseman, but yeah, he got around the ice really well, and he can make things happen with the puck and his. His patience with the puck, too, was noticeable, which is not a super common trait in a 17-year-old defenseman. Well, um, like you said, there's a lot of leads there as to as to where to look. And seeing these guys one-on-one. Oh, with- and, and Reed Dick had the game of his life. Oh, my God. He he was like the 26th-ranked North American goalie. And he just not anymore. In one. <laughs> yeah. I may have just chopped in half. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of directions in which to go which we're going to be taking advantage of for future prospect profiles. So uh, that was the CHL Top Prospects game. It was great to, again, do some scouting in person. It's been a little bit of a long time. And, uh, yeah, stay tuned for more. Yeah, it's been unfortunate because the Kitchener Rangers themselves do not have a single relevant player for the 22 draft this year. It's so much better watching that CHL Top Prospect game than going to a Kitchener Ranger game and being like, there's none no of these there. kids are going to be anywhere in the which it sucks to say but yeah none of these guys really have a sniff yeah at making the NHL so like you're just watching good junior players but being able to have them all condensed into one game i mean it's not a definitive evaluation of their abilities but it's just amazing to see how good they really are yeah yeah, yeah. watching Shane Wright against all of his closest peers versus watching him walk into Kitchener and put up 19 points on Kitchener's tragic bottom six. Like, <laughs> All right. Uh, let's jump into overtime. We have time for a few questions here before we do our Patreon exclusive full overtime. Um, Patreon.com slash podcast if you want to support the show. Much appreciated to all you who do, which is uh, they're the reason why we could do things like go to the CHL Top Prospects game and uh not only evaluate some players and uh but pick the brains of some of some scouts and some nhl brass as well so thank you for your support and uh appreciate all the new patrons as well who've who've come along lately shout out to the chl for making that commute 10 minutes for me for the top prospect yeah (laughs) yeah i'm sure they'll do it every time uh mike caviani says heading to ubs arena for the first time uh tonight for the game so stoked and it's been way too long since my last Wings game, which got me reflecting on some of my past Wings games. As a former SoCal kid, I had the pleasure of seeing Zetterberg's first career goal and the heartbreak of seeing Fedorov's last Wings game. Any highs or lows from previous games come to mind for you guys? We were at the last playoff game. Last playoff win. <laughs> win. Last playoff win. win. And last playoff win at the Joe. So if you ever... Oh, yeah. If you ever uh, want some uh, trivia for down the road, the uh, last playoff game winner scored at the Joe, Andreas Athanasiu. There you go. I've not been in person for a lot of pain. Evan and I were there in attendance for a pretty rough weekend. It was like Boston and then someone else. I think it was Florida and Boston. Yeah. It was like the worst hockey I've ever seen. It was bad. 
Boys, we were at the Red Wings' last game of a meaningless season where they got whacked oh, seven oh, yeah. nothing by Buffalo. Yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> Watching Darlene just blasted into the middle of the net. Yeah, yeah. Just Skinner had a hat trick that night. Yeah, to get to forty goals. So we're <laughs> we're partly responsible for that uh, contract he signed. Also, we got to watch a full period of Caden Fulcher in the NHL. So we saw. Did we see John Tavares score his last goal as an Islander? We did. Yeah, something like that. We did? Yeah. Yep. Yep. So season before, I believe. Oh God, I don't. Yeah, cause, yeah. He tied the game late, and then the Red Wings won it in overtime. I remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, I remember he scored, and we looked at each other. We're like, that could be John Tavares' last goal as an Islander, <laughs> and it was. Um, Bert Timsey, hey, new patron. Welcome, Bert Timsey, and appreciate your support. Uh, welcome to the Dub Dub Club. Says, hey guys, uh, finally excited to be a patron. Graduated in the middle of 2020. I was struggling to find a job in my field until two weeks ago. Hey, congrats, man. That's awesome. Thought I'd share the wealth with my favorite podcast team. Appreciate you. Uh, also, what are your thoughts on the Toronto reversible jerseys and how would you like to see the wings do and would you like to see the wings do one? Two jerseys for one? Why the hell not? Yeah. So this was one of the most heated debates I've uh, seen on Twitter in a while, where it was the boomer window versus the Gen Zs. And uh, <laughs> the millennials were avoided. Thank God. <laughs> yeah. We didn't have to participate in this. Yeah. We're, we were the, the grocery stick of this argument. So I'll put it this way. I personally thought both sides of this jersey were ugly as hell. Did not like him. Not a fan. But I also understand... And, you know, as much as I'm not a Justin Bieber fan or anything like that, I could care less. I actually love that the Leafs did this. This is good for the NHL. You want to appeal to the next generation of hockey fans, the the fans who are going to continue to support you for the next 40 years. And that's, you know, teenagers, you know, people in their early 20s, the people who are huge fans of Justin Bieber and like progressive ideas like this. That is who this was for. And if you looked at the reaction from them online, it was a hit. Like this was a great idea by the Leafs and very well executed towards the demographic that this should have been targeted at. So I have no problem if every other team in the league tries this. Like, am I going to love most of these? Probably not, but they're not for me. And I understand that there's you don't have to like it but like you said this is an avenue using something like pop culture and fashion to reach a larger demographic you don't like how you don't have to like Biebs's music you don't have to like him as a person you don't have to like the jerseys i don't think they're nice but you know one-off special edition jerseys using things like think of what drake did with the ovo jerseys with the raptors oh those made an insane amount of money killed and think of it, people wear people genuinely wear that stuff as fashion. Oh my god, yeah. And like Toronto, like the Raptors as a brand in Toronto, which they were already massive, it somehow got even bigger. It's a good idea from a marketing perspective. I will say though, if it's not your cup of tea and you're a like a hockey sweater purist, it's your right to hate it, but it's not for you. That's what it is at the end of the day. It's not for you. I like special edition jerseys from teams because I think we don't see enough variation. It's fun. Keep your core jerseys. Do some special one-off stuff. You have 82 damn games in a year. Holy shit, just do something. NHL teams should be doing more brand diversification at all opportunity that presents itself. And And they should be going out and trying to find it. Yeah. And it's just more revenue. Every jersey you sell is another 200 bucks, 100 bucks in in the pocket of the league. If the Red Wings wore their home uh, home reds and their road whites 70 games of the year, 
and then came up with 12 gimmicky weird ass jerseys to appeal to different segments of the fan base every year. Cool. You could Fine. come up I don't with know if I go that extreme. Like you could come up with hundreds of ideas for those 10 games in one hour. And I'll moan and groan about 99 of them, but they'll still be it'll still be a net benefit for the yeah. for the fan base. If every year they did one classic jersey throwback style they wore it for two three games cool they did i don't know who would be the detroit equivalent of justin bieber whatever they team up with eminem eminem yeah to design a jersey for the red wings we look at it and go well that looks dumb as hell but then you know everybody 19 and under is like this is the greatest jersey ever great and then if they want to do a meme jersey for three games like the jurassic park ones in grand oh my god right to my eyes love it like by all means anyways I heard Kodak Black is going to design the Florida Panthers uh, reversible. <laughs> yeah, it's so it's going to be pretty uh, scarce, the, the material on that one. <laughs> yes. <laughs> God, I, I wish this was the Patreon exclusive because I have such a good follow-up to that that I can't say. Uh, Rye19 says, let's have some fun. Eisenman tasks the winged wheel to fire the coach, but only one of you can do it. Which one would it be? The answer here is Evan, without a shadow of a doubt. <laughs> without a shadow of a doubt. Brad would say too much. I trip over my words. Evan would just get it, walk in and go, hey, sorry, you're done. Just do the Michelle Terrian where he just sits and stares at you for like 30 minutes with yeah. cigarette smoke <laughs> in your face. <laughs> and you'd know exactly what that looks like because you'd recognize Michelle Terrian. I would. I would not right now. I could not tell you what he looks like. I The one thing I was surprised is Kevin Dayoff. I don't know why I always thought he was super tall. It's just a normal. He's the head of a dude. tall man. He does have a head of a tall man. Yeah. That's a perfect description. Oh, wow. Next to last comment here is from Kodak Black's date, funny enough. <laughs> Says, hey, guys, I'm looking at the Vegas cap. It's forked harder than Brad trying to pass to, pass the height requirement to ride the big roller coaster. <laughs> Jeez. If, my God, going in hard on this last one. If Detroit isn't on Dodonov's no trade list, would you guys do Dodonov and Haig for a second or a third? Before you say they won't give up on Haig, they have Theodore, Martinez, Hutton, and McNabb on the left, and Petro, Coughlin, and White Cloud on the right. I'm just looking at the left side for Detroit, and I think Haig would fit well with Heronic. Possible offer sheet possibility, maybe. I would be fully in favor of bringing over Nick Haig, um, but Vegas, though their odds are down to 25%, are still very much in the mindset of we're, they want to go for a run this year, so they are not going to offload roster players who are valuable to them right now. What's going to happen with Dodonov is ultimately just going to be like the Mark Stahl style trade. Like, hey, here's your pick. Please take this contract. Send us future considerations. Have a nice day. Yeah, it's. I still think someone squeezes them for a first, though. They had, it's their only choice. Oh, yeah. If anybody's ever going to do it, now's the time. Whatever GM takes like a second or some lackluster, he is going to get. At the next GM's meeting, he's going to get the shit kicked out of him in the, in the men's washroom. Like, do not lower the price for Vegas and make it easy for them. Yeah. Drive a hard bargain. If someone settles for a second, it'll be mildly annoying. It'll be Ottawa. That would be... The no, they'll s- give them a third-round pick for... Actually, Ottawa probably can't be on Dodonov no trade because he wouldn't put Ottawa when he submitted it while he was on Ottawa. I don't even want to think about that ring. I, we're actually never opening that argument again. <laughs> you imagine how awkward of a conversation be like, oh, hey, give us your 10-team list. You're like, oh, you put us on there. You play for us. That doesn't make any sense. He's like, oh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I have to cover all of it. Yeah. <laughs> 
Okay. Uh, with that, we're going to wrap up this episode of the Winged Wheel podcast. We're going to be back with you on Sunday. Uh, I'd like to thank Max Baltman for jumping on this episode. Um, our sponsors, the FanDuel Sportsbook, and all of our name-level Patreon supporters, uh, Arjun Shanker, Yves Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Grand Foundation, Kyle Kragitz, Nick Perks, Brett Bailey, Terry Driver of the number 69, Crying Ryan Hannes, Banana Slam and Jamathong, Matthew M. Rice, B. Diz, Boost Lobsinger, Carl Brutanen Nanaluski, Chimmy, Citizen High Five, CJ Sully, Craig Kibble, Daniel Garcia, Derek Enstam, DJ Denton, Give Blood Fight Probert, Greech, Hana Lee, Helen Keller Lost Alligator, Hassam Al Qasem, Jay Gollum, Jacob Turner, Justin in the Angry Mob, Kalen Wood, King Tone, Kyle Hashman, Marcus, Matt McKay, R.A., Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, Stay Fresh Cheese Bags, Zach Spring, Andrew Bohan, Sam Bankson, Adam, I wish I could finish like Ernie, Antonio Gracias, Babe Landeskog, banging out a quick one with Brad Crisco, Ben Barron, Connor Leighton, Dave W., Eric Sinkowski, Evans Bingo Card, James Laporte, Jeremiah Dobo, Jeremy Brocker, John Evans, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Logan Stull, Matt Keeler, Matt S., Max $1 million, Papa Woody, Parking on the Street, Poppin' Hemis, Revy DeLuca, Terry Actual, Trevor Pevlovar, Zach Handyside, and Zach McCann, a driving range superstar. Thank you all so very much. We'll talk to you Sunday. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.